0: Welcome to another episode of Listen Loudly. Today's guest, Lucy Bronze, England football player, currently playing for Barcelona. She received an, an MBE last year, part of the winning team in the UEFA Cup 2022. She's received BBC Women's Footballer of the Year multiple times. I was literally hanging on her every word from start to finish. Such an inspiration She's incredible. I know that you're going to love this episode. Lucy Bronze. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) What an absolute joy it is to have you on the podcast. Thank you so, so much for just coming on and doing this. I always say this because I had a list of like a dream list that I wanted for this. And uh, your name was on it. So when I sent you a message, I was just like, let me just put it out and ask her. (laughs) And you said, yes. I I feel very honoured to make the list. (laughs) So you need zero introduction, but Lucy Bronze, football player extraordinaire. Phil Neville called you one of the best players in the world. That's some title, that's some... (laughs) Name to be named. So I'm going to start with where we met, and we were just talking about that before we recorded. That was in Lyon, just shy of five years ago. Yeah, yeah, because I was pregnant with Max. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a while ago, my youngest. And we were just recording a bunch of stuff around Europe. And I think I hadn't told you I was pregnant until we had. had Nike used to have this special kind of not it wasn't a special jumper was it was a jumper that I used to wear. It was kind of like a box shape, so just hung over, so you couldn't really see. And my belly. And I'm, I mainly did that because I didn't want people to be fussing over me like, oh, she's pregnant. She can't do anything. So that was the thing. And I remember I told you at the end, you were like, oh shit, you're pregnant. That was where we met and you just had good energy and good vibes. So I was like, yeah, Lucy's cool. I like Lucy. When we were speaking earlier, we were just talking about football when you started and it was pretty much from the get go. When was the first time you kicked a ball? Yeah, from the get go. I mean,
1: everyone always asks how how I started playing or when I started playing. But honestly, I just my brother's two years older than me. I just copied everything he did. So uh, I think he probably was given a football or was playing football, and that was it. I fell in love with it. Wanted to play with my big brother. Wanted to follow him and copy him. And had a ball. Always was walking around with a football in my arm since since I can remember. That's so good. So so. What year was that? Well, I was born nineteen ninety one and I can specifically remember my dad's got a camcorder uh videos where he used to he used to video everything we did and in the bottom corner it was like nineteen ninety three and there's me rolling on top of like a penny floater ball. He's speaking to me saying, Oh, what have you got there? And I'm like, It's my ball, it's my ball. That was probably one of my first words that I
0: could say. Uh never mind kicking it and, and playing Yeah, yeah, football. yeah. <laughs> It's part of your, part of your vocab. And I read somewhere that you were quite shy as a child. Do you think that playing football from the early age is something that helped with that? Was it something that you could kind of just focus your energy into or would you separate the two? No, yeah, a hundred percent.
1: I mean, I love sport anyway. I still do love sport. I think if I wasn't a football player, I still would have been a tennis player or an athlete of some sort. And I did play tennis to quite a good level when I was younger as well, but there was I did love football more, but I think it was also just being in a team environment. I was so painfully shy. I wasn't the best at going up and speaking to people. So being in that environment where you all were doing something that you loved, it gave me something in common with people. And playing football was just like, that was my way of making friends. All my friends growing up and even the friends now that I've got as I've got older, Uh, My longest friends are the ones that I played football with from that very young
0: age. Yeah. And it's interesting because actually another one of my guests, Susie, she speaks about actually much later in life where she was so shy, was so afraid of public speaking and wanted just to shrink down. And that for her running was the thing that she was like, wait, I can do this. And that was her connection to other people. And that was her confidence in herself. So it's always, it's such a common thread for so many people that, that sport and movement ends up being this thing where they kind of come out of their, of their shell, or they just gain this confidence that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So you played, was it Elnwick Town? You played for Annick Town, yeah. <laughs> Annick Town. You played till under eleven, and then you weren't allowed to play. You weren't allowed to continue to continue on with the boys team at under twelves. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. Annick was. I mean, not many people have heard of Annick. It's just a small town in the very, very northeast of, of England, almost part of Scotland, to be honest. And yeah, football was what I loved. And I was lucky that the, the team was... I literally used to hop over the fence and run down a, a cow field. And then at the end of that field was the football field. So it was so close to where I lived. All my friends that I went to school with, they all played there. Two of my neighbours were on the same team as me. So it was, it was nice that I had everything so local. And to be honest... I don't think my mum likes it that I say this because she absolutely loves that I play football and she supports me so much. But my mum and dad actually didn't, weren't really into football. I think it was easy for them that I played for the local team. But yeah, when I turned 11, my coach went up to my mum and said, Lucy can't play for us anymore. And my mum was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, because she's a girl, she's not allowed to be on the team. And that was, I think that was the spark that sparked my mum's love for football (laughs) was someone telling her (laughs) that her little girl couldn't do something because she was a girl. It was like, now I'm interested. I'm all ears. What do I need to do? And that coach actually was, he said to my mum, you need to finally see a team because she'll play for England one day. And my mum was like, what do you mean? Like, she's that good kind of thing. My mum just thought it was, you know, a hobby. Didn't ever think of it as anything more than that, but immediately started searching The whole world to see what was the best thing that was for girls to play football which obviously back then this is a long long time ago 20 years ago it wasn't as accessible and easy to to find
0: or as or as big as what it is nowadays first of all I love that your mum was like fuck that and second of all do you remember that like do you remember being told like you couldn't at that age you couldn't continue on because you were a girl and what did that feel like When I played in the boys' team and in the boys' league, I never
1: really saw myself any differently. I think at that age, and because I was friends with the boys, it was never like, oh, we don't want Lucy. It was like, we want Lucy to play because she's good at football. It was never that thing of, oh, why does she have to be on our team? I think there was only ever one incident uh, where my auntie took me to a game and a boy on the other team was like, oh, they've got a girl. But I I don't think I even noticed it. It was my auntie that noticed it. Ended up tackling him in the game and making him cry anyway. Uh, my auntie <laughs> loves that story. But even when my coach went and told my mum, you know, you can't, she can't play anymore. They didn't really tell me, but my mum was like, Oh, we need to find you a new team. The only thing I was upset about was that I was leaving one group of friends and I had to go and make another group of friends. And I was like, I don't want to meet new people. Like I'm so shy. Like I have to. I love football, but now I'm going to have to make friends with another 15 group of people that I don't know. They know, know each other. Like, how am I going to cope with that? That was the thing that scared me more than anything. In my mind, at 11 years old, I wasn't thinking, oh, why am I not allowed to do it? Because I was a girl. It was like, oh my God, I've got to go and like, meet new people. I'm, I don't want to do this.
0: <laughs> well, that's so good because it, it could have gone either way, right? You could have just been like, oh, right. Okay. This is I'm now different because I'm a, I'm a girl and I don't get to do the same thing as the guys. But actually, the thing that you were worried about was just making new friends, which is amazing that it didn't impact you in the wrong way. Because it's not the first time that, I guess, uh, women or girls have been told that they can't play football. And I, 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 I remember distinctly when I found out, it was maybe only about five or six years ago, that women's football was banned after the First World War. Well, in 1921 it was banned, but also at that stage there were 150 women's football clubs and like there were like 45,000 people making it to games. But then it was banned by the FA because it was just deemed to be unsuitable for women. Nothing to do with the fact that they might have been selling more tickets than the men's, just to say. But (laughs) I couldn't believe that that was actually a thing. Well, I can right because it's well, you. You weren't allowed to play with the, with the boys team, and yeah, yeah. My mum like found all that out.
1: By the time I turned twelve, I think she recited that same <laughs> history lesson to she me. Was
0: like, And another thing,
1: <laughs> yeah, my auntie as well was a policewoman. She had a friend who was like a barrister. She was ready to go. And she was. I'm going to go and sue the the F, the federation, the FA. They can't tell women what they can and can't do. This is outrageous. So I think from a very young age, I've been instilled with the history of women's football, what it means to be told not to do things and how to, to stand up for for women and make sure that there's a change in society. Even though it's it's happened to be football, it's changed that. But from a young age, I was well aware of how important it was and the differences there was in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And how do you feel about it now, like the women's game today and for young women today it's a it's very very different the reason why I asked you also how old you were when you when you had the, you saw those pics and those videos of you with a football is because for me even the idea of girls playing football seemed so like foreign to me that just wasn't even in my I was born in 78 and in the 80s it just wasn't even a even a thing so even you saying like know in the early '90s, for me in my childhood, that didn't even exist. And now I see, like, I've been at various different events. There's been like so many girls' football football teams. It's just like incredible. It's so good to see, and there's so much more to come. But what's your view on that? I always play football because I love it, and
1: then obviously, like the stories of my mum being a teacher, my auntie being a police officer. They have stories of what it's like for women in the workplaces. And I grew up understanding that responsibility. And I always thought football is one of the biggest passions in England, not just sport in general and for men particularly. So then it was like, if I can succeed in football, like that's a way to to change things and to change society. And I think that's what my auntie says to me now because, again, she... She never really liked football when I was growing up either. She doesn't have she didn't have kids, so she was very much in our lives like another mum to us. And she says to me now, like, I would never in a million years think that women's football and you playing football was gonna be one of the things that helped change society, helped change how women are viewed because of the success of a women's football team. And I was like, But well, everyone's so passionate about football. If you can get them to believe in if you get them to be so passionate about men's football, you can get them to do that about women's football, then it just completely changes everything because it's like they're seen not as equal. I don't think it's the, the same thing, but it's just having respect for, for women doing something that's historically always been, oh, it's a man's game. No, it's, it's not. It's it's a game for everybody and we've finally proved that and it's just changed so many things that well if football's for everybody and why isn't everything for everybody so it's I mean it's amazing to be a part of and who knew it would have been football that would help steer things and and change things not just football but for society as well and I have you know my mum's friends come up to me and and say things like this to me and obviously they grew up in a, a different era to me and to hear them say things about change and to see the the joy on their faces is just as exciting when I see little boys and girls who turn up to football matches excited about seeing, you know, Leo Williamson or Frank Kirby or Lauren James. And then to see, like, all these different generations enjoying
0: the the game that we've
1: made today is amazing.
0: Because I guess you didn't have that for yourself when you were younger. Absolutely not. I think people always say, oh, who, who were your
1: idols growing up? And I have to name men's players predominantly. And then they're like, okay, who was like a woman that inspired you? And I'm like, Kelly Holmes, like Paul Radcliffe. They're the only two women that I really knew growing up who did sport because the Olympics was the biggest thing in terms of sport where women were actually seen on the TV. It was easily accessed. And them two were the two of the most successful women in their sports at that time when I was so susceptible to. Being amazed by things and, and watching TV and seeing sport and seeing powerful, strong women. They were the only two people I've see, I seen. I didn't see women's football, I didn't see rugby, I didn't see cricket. I played football because I loved it, but the only women that I've seen being successful at sport and being celebrated were, were those two people.
0: It's interesting because, you know, and it has changed so much now because I'll see, I'll look at my boys watching women's football on the TV and they're just watching it like it's the everyday thing, which it is now, but I'm like, wow, like this just. but for them it's, it's completely normal. And also just going back to what you said about when you were playing at that first football club that you were playing at, and actually there was never any point at which anybody else made you feel like you were a detriment to the team because you were a girl. So you just got to, to grow and develop and to improve your, Skills. I just think there's so much magic in that. And sometimes that's not always the way for people. And I feel like that was the same thing for me when I started out in fitness 20 years ago. And um, there was no social media then. So that was a joy. You weren't compare, comparing yourself to anyone else. But I remember there were these four different personal trainers, all guys who just were really enabling. To me, like there was no, oh, well, you know, the, the fitness industry is dominated by men, but it was just, I was able just to grow and to learn and to flourish. And I think that that's such a, when that happens and often it's accidental, it's so enabling just to go on and never have to question your ability or your, the validity of the, of the place that you hold in a team, your position or whatever. Now you, you said also that you would have played hockey, you would have played tennis. So you you did play hockey and you did play tennis and you did captain a hockey team and a tennis team when you were younger, as well as potentially going to run the 800 metres for Great Britain at the Olympics. <laughs> can we just can we just focus on that for a second? Because <laughs> Lucy's, Lucy's not just good at football, everyone.
1: <laughs> sport is just, I don't know, I, I just love sport. I love competing. I must have been full of so much energy and I had a brother who was two years older than me. I I was competing against him. Not only was he he a boy, so as we got older, he obviously just got physically bigger and stronger and faster. He was also two years older than me, and that was my standard. It was like, he never let me win. And it was never like, oh you're, you're a girl, you're not beating me. It was just like, you're just not beating me. And I think, again, he never ever was like, oh, my little sister can't play football with us. He would take me along to play football with the boys. He would take me along... He would pick me on his team. Like I think that was a huge part of why I never felt any different when I was playing football with the boys because my brother treated me like everybody else. Yeah, I was just a sibling. I wasn't a little girl that my mum had made him take with him. So I was always competing with him. So then I think that's where I had a bit more of fight in me for all these other sports. And obviously hockey and, and netball and tennis were predominantly what we did at school and athletics. But my school in particular, I said I was from a very small town in the northeast, and it was, but I don't know, there must be something in the water because the year below me was one of my best friends still to this day, Lucy Staniforth, who's gone on and played for England football as well. And then the year above me uh, was Laura Waitman, who ran, who's ran the 1500 meters in the Olympics. Wow. All from, all from that one school. One school, one Jeez. small town. So that's who I used to run with well, when, when I did athletics. You. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's unbelievable, unbelievable. Athlete. Even from young, she was so dedicated to running. But then when I was doing athletics, that was who I was competing with and against. When I was younger, I used to say my claim to fame was that I, I beat her once in 800 <laughs> meters when we were like, God, it must have been about nine or ten years old I don't think I ever beat her again but there was one race I beat her oh, in, in you're never gonna meters. forget that <laughs> <laughs> never gonna forget that never ever gonna that's, I'm like so proud of that everything I've accomplished in football and and winning trophies in football <laughs> there's something about accomplishing something in another sport that's not your primary sport it feels a little bit special so I do enjoy running um I always do I go home do park runs with my family they're very into park runs and my brother got quite into marathons at one point but i still had to beat him at the park runs even though i don't do run anymore but there's i don't know there's just something about that
0: little bit of competing in it. and in a
1: race like it's just yeah there's no ifs or buts or maybes it's just head like head to head you
0: will yeah. win or you lose like yeah. that's it i love it and also <laughs> so it's not just sport where you excel in a million different places it seems. You're also a bit of a maths whiz and you won an award. Am I correct? Well, uh, maybe. I,
1: um, <laughs> I did maths to a good level when I was younger. I did like my A levels in maths. Quite a weird A levels to pick was maths and further maths and PE. I don't know. Okay, a, a <laughs> I nearly, <combination>. nearly <laughs> split
0: uh, when you went further maths on top of maths. <laughs> okay. And then PE. Okay, fine. Balance yeah. it out.
1: <laughs> Well, it's funny because um, when I was growing up, being a footballer wasn't a job for a girl, obviously. It was a hobby and it was something I would always do. No matter whether I got paid or not, I was always going to play football. So then I, I remember being asked what did I want to do when I was older and I didn't know. The only thing I loved was football and maths. I asked my mum, like, what's a job where you get to use maths a lot? And she was like an accountant. So from like the age of five, I would be like, when I grow up, I want to be an accountant.
0: (laughs) All right. So you represented England from under 17. Yep. So what was that like, that first call up? Who was it? Did you need to call your auntie and just be like, babes, we made it? Hold, hold the phone. Yeah. (laughs) Stop what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. I played on the
1: same team as, funny enough, well, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny at the time, but... I played on the same team as my friend Luke Staniforth. You're younger than me. I remember we went to like an event where scouts come to watch you, and we went together. We came, we went back home in the car together. With my mum took us, and then afterwards she'd been like, "Oh, like the scouts were there. They spoke to me. They want to pick me from England." Blah, blah, blah. No one had spoke to me, and I was like, "Oh, well done." Bear in mind, we're like 14, 15 years old, like. I was a bit like disappointed to say the least, but I was like, oh, nice. And she was so excited. We dropped her off at home. She shut the car door. She ran in the house and immediately I started crying. And my mum was like, I knew you were upset because your friend's been picked and you hadn't, or I thought I hadn't. Little did I know, you know, the, the week later we got sent letters. I'm on the same list as like, I got picked but no one had spoke to me at the event. And my mum was like, I'll never forget that car journey. You had to be, like, so quiet and not upset and try and be happy for your friend. But as soon as she left, you just started crying. She was like, I think that was when I realised how much playing football meant to you, that you were so upset that you didn't get picked. But I did end up getting picked. I got a letter in the post. Um, My name was on it. I had to go. can't remember where we went, but my mum dropped me off. I played, like, a tournament in Holland, and it was yeah it was just like the best thing ever and from that moment I absolutely just loved going to England camp from imagine from the age of 15 and every couple months or so you you get to fly somewhere and play football against these other teams from other countries and with all the same the people who have the same goal as you want to play for England and yeah it really just sparked my interest even more in who plays for England and starting to learn about the players that played for England and how can I succeed and what can I do to get to the top and going through all the age groups and and things like that. I was never the superstar of any of the age groups. I did well, I always got picked, but there was other players who were ahead of me who got picked, who got kind of labelled or stamped for like, this is the future England captain, this is the future England superstar, yada, yada, yada. My name was never anywhere near that list i made out of grit and out of spite of of all of those things.
0: That week in between, between you crying in the car and then getting the letter a week later, what was your mindset in that week in between when you thought that it wasn't you? I've always believed in myself, but I've never felt that other people believed in me the same way.
1: So I think although I was disappointed, it was just like, just got to keep going and eventually they'll believe in me eventually I'll not prove them wrong but they'll see something in me I'll just have to keep going and going I've kind of always had that mentality of my mum's always believed in me my family have I've always believed in myself other people maybe haven't or maybe haven't shown it and I've always just felt like well, oh, I'll just have to keep doing more like it's fine don't worry about it and in a way although it was so upsetting that like my best friend was getting scouted and I thought I wasn't I think we both made it because of each other like she made it and she was like right we need to go to the gym we need to train more and I'd be like okay I'll come and train more I'll do more and we always secretly kind of tried to outdo each other tried to run more than each other tried to kick the ball further than each other like just these stupid little things like we were siblings but in an essence like we pushed each other to be better in the end I think without having that person with us every single day we lived in a small town so for two of us to come out and and play for England from that small place I think it's because of the, the competitiveness between each other and the will to want to to get to where the other one was consistently.
0: And I feel like you saying that you just believed in yourself so much I feel like that's such a rare quality in people in general where does that come from, do you think, or is just is it just something you've always had or is it something that you worked on or It's from my family.
1: <laughs> I think I was painfully shy and I kind of didn't have this confidence in in normal life, but then when I was playing sport, I somehow had this confidence. And my mum always used to just say, Oh, you you can do anything, like you can be whatever you want to be, like you have to work hard. She also did have a, a famous saying at home when my brother would beat me at a lot of things and I'd be like, "Wow, well, it's not fair. Like, he's bigger than me. It's not fair that he gets this. Or and my mum would just be like, sometimes life's just not fair. And I'd be like, oh, well, I have no comeback now, so I just had to keep going. But she was my biggest fan. I think her not understanding football and not knowing whether I was doing good or bad, all she could ever cheer for was my effort. So... It was never coming home and, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, why didn't you pass there, why didn't you score more goals? I would come home and my mum would be like, did you enjoy yourself? And I was like, yeah, Like I worked my hardest and she'd be like, okay, brilliant, Like keep going. That was the encouragement that I got from my mum and my dad, from my brother and my sister, from my auntie, from my grandma, because they didn't, my brother knew football, but... Adults in my life didn't know football. I was never pressured into it. So I, I learned to build confidence because I had no fear, fear of failure.
0: So good. I mean, it just feels like everything was just there, like all the ingredients were just right to produce who you are right now. So your um, senior England team debut was in 2013, friendly against Japan. What was What was that feeling? What was that like?
1: Well, that is another... Like crossroads because I was playing re- like really well and not getting picked for England and a lot of the girls who played for England got picked a lot younger or a lot of my friends who are my age were getting picked and I had had a couple of injuries and knee problems from a from a young age well from a young age from around eighteen years old uh, and then my friends were getting picked for England. My dad's Portuguese, so from the age of 16, I was on the radar of the Portugal national team. They kept coming saying, do you want to come play for us? And I was like, no, I want to play for England. I want to play for England. And then I got to a point, I was like, it's never going to happen. Like, all my friends are getting picked. The coach just mustn't want me. I said to my mom, if I get to my 22nd birthday and I'm still not picked, pick up the phone. Like I want to play football international, whether it's for England or for Portugal. They're both my countries." I'll go and play for Portugal. I got picked four months before my birthday. And it was only because three players got injured. And the, the coach literally rang me up and said, oh, congratulations, you've picked, been picked, but it's only because so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so have all got injured. So it was kind of like, oh, uh, I'm bottom of the list. But it was my chance, I guess. I took it and got in the t- like the squad and... Got picked for England ever since that day. But yeah, it was a little bit of fate, I guess, because if it had been a few months later, I would have been ready on the phone to Portugal, saying I want to play for Portugal. And now I've had such a successful England career and played so many times for England. It could have been very, very different had it been for that phone call.
0: God, so close, four months. It's wild, isn't it? The way life works like that, like almost just like to the nose, and then and then that change, and again testament to your mindset and your passion knowing that you got picked because three players were out you could have been like oh well but again for, it seems like listening to you everything is an opportunity all the time no matter what to get there and to take it and to just go for it
1: yeah always you never know I think having so many injuries from so young and even before you getting picked it was like you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow so just head first into everything, take everything you can, believe in yourself, go for it. I think there's a lot of people who maybe hold themselves back a little bit or they look at these obstacles and say, well, life's not fair. And it's not fair sometimes. And Sometimes you've got to push a little bit harder. Sometimes you've got to work a little bit more than the person next to you. So it might come out well for you in the end. It might not, but... All you can do is try your hardest and, and then at least you've you've done everything. It's whatever else happens, it's not in your control, but you can control what you can control. I think I've always been like that and just took that opportunity, completely ran with it. And yeah, I still had to fight for my spot to get in the team and that took a little while, but I was always there. And eventually, obviously I made it in the team and, and stuck around for a while.
0: Yeah, and then you captained the team in 2018. The She Believes Cup, what was what was that like? I think, weirdly, I've took up this leadership
1: role in England still to this day. And even quite early on in my England career, it came about. And I never really pinned myself as, as that kind of person. I think just from playing my hardest and wanting to do my best, then the manager was like, but you're pushing yourself is pushing people around you. That is what leaders do. That's what captains do. And... Yeah, I don't think I was a born leader. (laughs) You know, they say that about people, like, it's just in them. I don't think it was in me. I think, I don't think I had that way of communicating with people or knowing my way of communicating with people. It took a while to understand myself, let alone to understand other people. So to, to, I've ended up captain in England and being vice captain of England and being the leader of the team even to this day is you, told me this 10 years ago I would have laughed in your face I would have thought yeah I'll play for England but being the leader of the team no that's that's not for me I don't know how to communicate properly with people I don't know how to be a leader but it's something that I guess I've learned to do because I want what's best for the team.
0: What do you think that process is like what did you have to do to understand well you first of all you said to understand yourself first in order to be able to lead others what was that process? I
1: remember one of them one of my managers at England sitting down with me and he said oh you you, like you set your standards so high and I said yeah because like I wanted everything I do I want to do it to the best of my ability and he was like you can't always hold every single person to your own standards you can hold them to their highest standard but just because you're capable of doing that other people have reasons or Maybe they're not as motivated or they don't want it. Like, there's things in your life that you don't try as hard for that they maybe try harder for. And I think we did like some personality tests at England as well with different colors and kind of what motivates you. And a lot of that really helped me understand how the team worked collectively. Because I was like, well, why wouldn't you want to just be your best all the time? Why wouldn't you want to just push yourself all the time? But some people have different drives and different motivations. I guess I, I had to learn to understand that, to to understand the whole team and not just 11 players, like there's 23 sometimes, 25 players there, different motivations, different places in life, younger, older, different experiences. Yeah, it took me a while to understand like how all of that moulds together, how we mould as a team. I had to have a couple hours with coaches or Psychologists to help understand myself and how I could help other people but it took a while but it was a process that I absolutely loved doing it was something that challenged me something that helped me grow and I learned so much about myself and other people because of it which I'll be honest when I was younger I went to university and I was like oh psychology what a load of rubbish but now it's something that I absolutely love I think talking to a psychologist understanding yourself is so important whether it's in sport or out of sport for me, in both walks of, works of life and walks of life, it's really helped me.
0: Mm, yeah, that's amazing. And just understanding different people in the team and what they're bringing. And even though it may not be the same as you, that it still collectively adds to the team.
1: The best story ever is like Jill Scott, who everybody knows. She's been so successful. She has an amazing career. Like she's the bubbliest character When she went on i *Am a Celebrity*, everyone, like all the girls, were like, "She's gonna win this! Like, she's the best personality ever." We were like opposites. She's like, "Lucy, why do you always have to beat everyone? Can't you just like enjoy the process?" And I'd be like, "No, I need to win." I'm like, "Why don't (laughs) you want to win? Like, why do you always have to enjoy everything? Like, it's about winning." We were complete opposites, and for the beginning, we like used to clash a little bit, and then. We did these as a personality test and she she turned around to me and was like, I think I get you now. Like, and it was her that more made the connection with me. And then I started to understand her better. And it was like, from that moment on, we played next to each other on the pitch. And although we have similar attributes on the pitch, like wanting to work hard, our motivations and our brain was so different. Like hers was very much enjoying the moment, making memories, bringing people together as well as winning, whereas my winning came first, and then the rest came down. then working together, like it changed our relationship on the on the pitch. I think when I think about the euros, how successful we were with England, Jill was like the special ingredients that brought everyone together, but as well as having that winning mentality that we needed, so it was. It was really eye-opening. I think she was one of the main players and people that really opened my eyes and like helped me realise different different people and, and working together. And, yeah, it changed our relationship on the pitch. And I think it, it changed a lot of things in, in our England team understanding each other.
0: First of all, what was the personality test? Because I feel like everyone needs to do this. <laughs> and then how long ago was it? Long ago, I it must have been
1: around 24. Five, twenty-six, or maybe yes, yeah, six, seven years ago. What's it called? I don't. Know. I don't remember what the test. So there was called. colors. Like there was
0: colors involved
1: as well. Yeah, it's like right. okay. it's like red, blue, yellow, and green. Red and blue are like more logical based, and then green and yellow are are more like socially based. Or then there's like introvert and extrovert within that. So it's like like a bit of a circular chart where you fit on one corner's more red, one's crossed to blue, one's here, one's here. That's it. One's logical based, one's more feeling based. How winning makes you feel as opposed to you just want the result of 1-0 and that's fine. Or someone else could be like, yeah, we won 1-0, but I didn't play well or I didn't do this well or I didn't feel good. Like We didn't play like quite a long test and obviously for 23 players to do it, it and to understand each other. I remember when we did it the first time at England, so many of our players were like green and yellow, which is like the feeling based. And there was like three or four of us who were like logical based. And I was like, no wonder I get frustrated <laughs> in this team. We all just like, we want to have fun and train. And all in the clouds. <laughs> yeah, like get your head out of the clouds, girls. Come on, we need to win. And they'd be like, calm down. You see why you're so stressed. Like we're training, like let's have fun. Let's have fun in life, mate. Memories, like we can still win. And it, yeah it was really learning about that I remember mine was like red and blue really high which was logical green and mm. yellow really really low that's that math sprain isn't it yeah did it a couple of years later and mine had changed and they were like you've you developed like you've not changed as a person you've just learned to understand those other sides better which you yeah, asked me at the very first test if I'd wanted that I would have said no being logical is the best thing ever But working in a team, I think you need to be able to switch that off and understand people as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Incredible. That's so interesting. And what's your training like now? You said that there's there's been lots of differences and lots of changes. Speaking of logical brains. (laughs) Yeah. I've been in, in America, England, France. Obviously
1: now I'm in Spain and Barcelona. The training philosophies i think in each country is so different i think england and america are more similar to each other probably a bit more scientifically based in terms of logic and numbers data that's used collecting stats whether that's football stats or like physical stats in terms of how far you run how fast you run like how fast you run at this speed and etc whereas i feel like in france and in Spain, from my experiences, they've kind of had those numbers, but it's been more like, especially in Spain, it's like, let see, how does it feel? Though? Like, can oh, I can remember that in France as well, actually, the, the coach would be like, but what does that feel like to you, like in terms of how you play the game, thinking about other people and where they're moving to? What does that make you think? What does this make you think? Whereas in England, it's a little bit more statistically driven with, how many passes you've maybe completed, how many of this you've completed. The same with the training off the like off the pitch in terms of in the gym. Like in England it's more like we need to exert power. What's the best place lift or exercise to exert power is this one, right? We'll we'll do that, we'll get strong at that. Whereas in I feel like in Spain and France it's like what's the movement that you use during a pass or what's the movement you use during a turn in football? right, we're going to repeat that movement, but with some sort of resistance. So it's like more movement-based, whereas I feel like England and, and US is a little bit more like, I don't know what the what the really the word is, but I guess more weight-based, more based off of like hard lifts, heavy lifts in Spain and in France. It's like, what is the movement that you do, doing and how do you improve that movement? I think there's evidence for both. I guess that's the thing with football is, not necessarily a right and wrong way to do a lot of things in football, a lot of it's opinion-based. There is science, obviously, sports science, and all teams follow sports science, but they have different philosophies and how that's, I guess, formed and onto the pitch and how it works for their team.
0: Would you have a preference for one over the other, having done both? Funny enough, I feel like I have a preference towards England. I feel
1: like having so many knee problems... Uh, I think certain movements I struggle with anyway so then to be asked to do a movement to then build up my strength it's like well (laughs) I can't do the movement to do the strength so I can't get strong to then feel better doing the movement it's like a constantly a bit of a chain reaction whereas some people absolutely love doing the movement-based things because they feel like that's exactly what they do I think for me doing more generic or basic broken down movements is easier for me to keep strong, to keep fast whilst not aggravating all the injuries that I've had. But then for me in France and Spain, I've, the football side of it, I've loved more of like how we train on the pitch. It's not just you need to run this distance because the GPS said that you haven't ran enough. So we're going to do an extra drill just to hit a number. Meet that target, yeah. Like, yeah, it's not hitting a target of a number. It's like, have we got the... The goal out of training, which is the goal is pretty much all the time, is to do a football. It's like, has the team found the rhythm? What does that rhythm look like? Does not really matter if we've ran too much or too little? There is that. It is, you know, the numbers are still there, but it's more based off the football. I think in England, there still is, have we found the rhythm? But once you've hit a number, you probably normally have to stop. So they both use both philosophies but I think one maybe overpowers the other in different places.
0: And then does that feed into then the pre-game chat, the halftime chat? Is there a do you find a difference within that too? I don't think in the game necessarily but maybe like
1: in terms of like the recovery sessions maybe. I think in England it's very much based off the numbers whereas In my experience of France and Spain, it's yeah, like, did we win the game easily? So therefore, was the game easy? But actually, your numbers could still be the same because you still have to put effort in, you still have to work hard. Um, Whereas in England, it might be like, well, or equally opposite. In England, you might feel like the game was easy, but you, you hit high numbers and you're thinking, well, I want to train today. And they're like, no, you can't train because you've already hit the target that you need to hit. But you feel like, oh, well, I feel like I didn't do a lot yesterday. But it's like, well, just because you feel it doesn't mean it didn't happen. <laughs> so there's like good and they can be manipulated either which way. So it depends what mood you're in, I guess. Sometimes in England, it's a bit like, just let me do what I feel like I want to do. And then sometimes in Spain and France, it's like, I'm obviously tired, like the numbers say. I am. So it's a bit yeah, hypocritical yeah. of me to say one or the other. It's- because it changes throughout the year, because sometimes you are really
0: tired. Sometimes you're not really tired, just can, can dependent on other factors. The title of this podcast is Listen Loudly. And I, I've called it that because I always think, and from my own experience, I think you have to listen loudly to yourself in order to be heard by others. I feel that you are the epitome of that based on everything that you've just talked about, This this self-belief. But is there a moment where you really felt that you listened loudly to yourself in order to be heard by others? Even, um, you know, you talking about not getting picked. Well, I just have to keep, keep going. I feel like you've got it innately in you, if I'm honest. I feel like you, like, <laughs> you embody it.
1: Yeah, I think I've had a, a few moments in my career Particularly when I was younger, I guess. I think the more that I've achieved, it's been like I've not had to say anything because my achievements have spoke for me. But I feel like before you achieve anything, it's like, why are people not taking notice a little bit? You've got to just get your head down, work even harder. I think moments for me have always happened when I've been injured, especially with long-term injuries. I think there was one the one that always like is just ingrained in my memory is, being injured for nearly 12 months when I was at university like 19 20 years old I wasn't getting any support from any of the, the the federation I feel like the clubs tried to but there was just there wasn't the the resources there wasn't the funding to do that I had to do everything for myself and just had to push myself even harder because if I didn't do it nobody else was going to do it I had to prove that I was worth Putting the resources into putting the time and effort into, and I think it was only when I started to achieve and actually started to play well that I then kind of got those things. And it was a bit like I don't need I don't need them now. I needed them <laughs> I before. Need enough, I've it, had that yeah. conversation. <laughs> yeah, I've had that conversation so many times, like with with the FA, and it's. I'm like, do you know what? Sometimes I think you're better off putting more into younger players, but don't just pick five of them because. You just don't know at that age. Like if you'd picked five players when I was younger, it wouldn't have been me. You wouldn't have picked me. You would have picked five different players. But I was someone who needed the help and the support because I didn't have it from, from for whatever whatever reason. But now that I'm older, you're
0: giving it to me. But I already know what I'm doing now. Oh, Lucy. Jeez, so good. I have thoroughly enjoyed this, listening to you, I suppose getting into your head, your way of thinking, incredibly inspiring and also no surprise just to see where you've got to today with awards hanging off your ears, your MBE, I mean all of it. So thank you so much for sharing your brain with us and your your way of thinking. I'm definitely going to check that personality test out but yeah, just just a big, big thank you to you for, for coming on here and chatting. No, thanks for your time. I really enjoyed it. Ciao, ciao.